0: When you start a program of behavior change and begin to learn new skills, your first challenge is often coming to terms with the fact that you suck at this. You're not doing a very good job. But that's understandable. You're a beginner, a novice. You're just learning. So give yourself a break and stick with it long enough not to suck. Hi, I'm Michael C. Patterson with MindRamp. Welcome to this edition of the MindRamp podcast. In this MAPS series, we have been working our way through the stages that get you from good intentions to sustainable action plans that lead to success. We've done each letter of the MAPS acronym, motivation, assessments, planning, and now skills for sustainability. In this episode, we're going to examine the recognition that learning curves are especially difficult at the beginning, when we're just getting started. At the beginning of a learning curve, we know very little. We have limited understanding and we have undeveloped skills. So our performance is lousy. We disappoint ourselves. We want to have immediate success and perform at genius levels from the get-go. But it don't work that way. So we are going to offer two instruments that could help you conceptualize the full arc of the learning curve and to, hopefully, give you the impetus to stick with the program long enough to improve your performance and get to a point where you're feeling good about yourself and are actually enjoying the process of learning and practicing your new behaviors. So we're going to outline the idea of a motivation continuum and a mastery Continuum. And we suggest that you come to think of cultivating your motivation and your mastery as ongoing mental management practices that will help you to support all aspects of your quest for qual longevity. You can find worksheets for both of these instruments in the MindRamp Playbook Winning the Brain Health Game. But you should be able to get the basic idea of how they work by listening to the podcast. Let's start by discussing the motivational continuum. By continuum, I'm talking about a sequence or progression of values that moves stepwise from one extreme to the other. An example might be a continuum from happy on one end to sad on the other, with graduated steps in between. So if you start at the sad extreme and move towards happiness, each step makes you a little less sad and a little more happy. So we're going to apply this to motivation. Note that this implies that there is more than one type of motivation. There are gradations of motivation. As we discussed in the first map section on motivation, you need to call forth your reserves of motivation throughout your quest for qual longevity. You need to be motivated to get started with the process of developing a brain health strategy. Uh, you need to find big-picture motivation to even consider the challenge of cultivating brain-healthy behaviors. And then you also need targeted motivation to inspire you to design specific action plans and then stick with them long enough to see positive results. So the motivation continuum. One of the primary concepts about motivation is that it derives from both external and internal sources. So, external psychologists call it extrinsic motivation, and on the opposite end is intrinsic motivation. As a general rule, being told to do something, extrinsic, is less motivating than wanting to do it for personal reasons, intrinsic. We've described two types of motivation as the stick or carrot approaches. How do you get a stubborn mule to move in the right direction? Well, you can use either a stick or a carrot. Some people think you motivate the mule through punishment or the avoidance of pain. You beat the mule with a stick until it does what you want. Others think it's more effective to motivate the mule with the promise of a reward, with the carrot that's dangled out in front of its mouth. As a general rule, the carrot approach, the promise of reward, has proven to be more effective. And It's so much more pleasant. Psychologists have described levels of motivation as progressing along a continuum from highly extrinsic to highly intrinsic. You start out with, well, with no motivation at all, but once you decide to pursue a specific goal, your initial motivation to do so may be largely externally regulated. You're being told to do the work. Gradually, you begin to internalize the goals and identify with them and associate your efforts as being consistent with your own goals and values. Eventually, we hope the activity begins to be pleasurable and fulfilling. You start to have fun with it. So a goal for your work on each map, each action plan is to move your motivation from the extrinsic end of the continuum, where you're probably going to start, towards the more intrinsic end. Ultimately, you want to adopt the healthy behaviors and lifestyles, not because someone is telling you to, or because you think it will be good for you, but because you actually enjoy doing them. And then as you progress through the motivation continuum. You shift from the use of the stick to use of the carrot, from forms of punishment towards the lure of rewards. Now here's the key point. No matter where your motivation comes from, or where it starts within the continuum, it can be enhanced and improved with practice as you work on your behavior change objectives. It can be moved towards the intrinsic side of the scale. So use whatever level of motivation you have to start your work on your action plans, but make it a point to enhance your motivation as you play with the strategies and tactics. In the MindRamp playbook, we have a motivation continuum worksheet that you can use to work your way through the various stages. What it encourages you to do is to develop specific uh, what we call advancement strategies and tactics to help you transition from one stage to the next, getting you closer and closer towards the intrinsic side of the scales. So now let me share a more detailed description of a motivation continuum that is suggested by the work of psychologists Edward Desi and Richard Ryan of Rochester University. Desi and Ryan developed the self-determination theory of motivation. In this theory, they described a difference between controlled, that is by somebody else, and autonomous motivation. Deci and Ryan believe that everybody has basic psychological needs that help them to thrive and to have their highest quality motivation. And those basic psychological needs are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So in other words, we feel more motivated when we feel that we're in control and are not being compelled to do something by someone else. We feel more motivated when we have confidence that we can perform the required activities, when we feel that we have mastered the required skills. And we're more motivated when we feel that the activities we are engaged in are relevant to other goals in our life, particularly in terms of how they relate to other people. I think it's a fair assumption that when you start out with a challenging action plan, that your motivation is going to be more on the extrinsic side of the equation. Change is always hard. We resist change, so the motivation is going to feel forced at the beginning. But don't let that freak you out. This is the point of the continuum. Recognize that this is a process, a practice. You start out on one level... But you do so with the assumption that through deliberate and informed practice, you will improve and move to the next level. So let's look at the various levels of the continuum as inspired by Desi and Ryan. Level one is no motivation at all. You have no desire whatsoever to create a a brain health action plan. But once you sort of get to that point where you're motivated to do something, then you get to what's Desi and Ryan called external regulation. Someone is instructing you to develop your action plan. You're you're doing it because you'll get in trouble or feel bad if you don't do it. So this is really sort of where the stick comes in. You're, you're somebody is beating with the, you with a stick telling you to to get moving on this brain health action plan. The next level up from that, further away from the extrinsic towards the instrin, towards the intrinsic, Desi and Ryan call <clears throat> Desi and Ryan call introjected regulation. Now, in this level, you instruct yourself, perhaps reluctantly, to develop your own brain health action plan or whatever it is you're being motivated to do. No one else is overtly telling you what to do. It's your decision, but you're doing it still to avoid punishing yourself with guilt or self-recrimination. Still, you're using the stick. The next level, closer towards intrinsic, is Identification. You believe you should design and implement your action plan. You should make these behavior changes. You begin to identify with the goal. You want your brain to be healthy. You want to be happy. You want to flourish. You may not, however, be sure you're willing to do the work and make the required sacrifices. I mean, you're beginning to dangle your own carrot out there, a little one, to to entice you to move forward. The next level is called integrated regulation. Now you're beginning to feel like a a well-being kind of person who makes plans comfortably. Your well-being goals are, are beginning to become more compelling, and you're eager to accept the challenge of overcoming obstacles, forging new behaviors, and developing healthier mindsets. You begin to design action plans that modify the activities in ways that make them more pleasing to you. In other words, you're being creative with that carrot that you have dangling out there in front of you. And then finally, you get towards intrinsic motivation. And this is where you just love learning and experimenting with the plan just for the sheer joy of doing it. You've become so attached to the activities that you look forward to to playing with them. And in fact, you feel a little sad and disappointed if you can't do them for a day or two. You have, in essence, adopted a well-being lifestyle that you find comfortable, fulfilling, and enjoyable. Hey, you get to eat those fancy carrots every day whenever you want to. I like to use a uh, a healthy lunch example to illustrate movement along the the, uh, motivational continuum. When I was in high school in New York City, we were able to eat lunch at a nearby restaurant if we wanted to. And every day, I went to the same diner and ordered exactly the same thing. A hamburger, French fries, and a large cherry Coke. So I'm going to use my high school lunch as an example of an unhealthy lunch choice. Unhealthy fats, grease, empty carbs, sugar water. And it tastes great, and it's addictive, but it's really bad uh, for the long-term health of your body and brain. So let's say that I eat the same lunch as an adult and my wife starts getting on my case to change my evil eating habits. I'm getting fat. She's worried about metabolic syndrome. She doesn't want me to drop dead from a heart attack, yada, yada. So I say, fine, I'll eat something different for lunch. What do you want me to eat? She says, eat a salad for lunch. He tells me, "Fine, whatever, and no creamy fattening dressings. Fine, great." So clearly, this is a high degree of extrinsic motivation. I'll force myself to eat salad at lunch just to get my wife off my back about the lunch issue. So I start out with a slab of iceberg lettuce with oil and vinegar on it. Whew, boring. I report the iceberg lunch to my wife to show her that I'm doing as told, but she looks at me like I'm crazy. Iceberg lettuce? She winces as she speaks. Iceberg lettuce has no taste. Very little nutrients. Use a variety of leafy greens. They have many more nutrients, and they taste much better. And spice up your dressing with some mustard and herbs, or, or at least use balsamic vinegar. So the idea that there are different kinds of salads and different kinds of dressings is a bit of a revelation. So I began experimenting with the salad bar at the local restaurant, and I'm I'm doing it because my wife told me to, but I'm beginning to take some control over the process. I'm experimenting with different ingredients. I'm getting interested in the process. My lunch buddies tease me about the salad, and at first I just grit my teeth, roll my eyes and begrudgingly eat the salad. But after a while, as the salads begin to taste better, I begin to think of myself as the the healthy choice guy. The teasing from my buddies starts to become almost a source of pride. Yep, I'm the salad guy. I am the guy who's taken care of his health. Yep, that's me. So I've moved into the identification phase. You see where this is going. I mean, gradually the salads are going to get better and better. I learn which ingredients are the healthiest and which combinations taste the best. And I begin to get creative and start adding exotic and surprising ingredients. Now that I'm eating better, I start to feel better. I'm losing weight. I have more energy. The motivation to eat salad for lunch is becoming more and more internalized. My wife no longer has to tell me to eat salads. I choose to eat them on my own. I look down my nose at her when she orders a sandwich for lunch, for God's sake. This process of treating each behavior change action plan as a process, a form of practice, enables you to feel comfortable with whatever level of motivation you have when starting out, but it also gives you the drive and the incentive to keep at it. And to master the variety of skills it requires. Which brings us neatly to the next continuum I want to explore the Mastery Continuum. The Mastery Continuum. Each action plan that you undertake will involve the learning of new skills, new strategies, new techniques, and new kinds of information. Each new piece of learning will require some time to master. Some skills and strategies will be learned easily, but others will take much more time and effort. You'll experience a learning curve, in other words. And just as it was frustrating and annoying to be on the extrinsic end of the motivation continuum, it's frustrating to be at the beginning end of the learning curve. When we're just learning a new skill, we aren't very good at it. We don't like not being good at things. We want to be magical geniuses who can do things wonderfully as soon as we give them a try. Unfortunately, mastery doesn't work that way. When first learning a new skill, we have to invest a great deal of conscious attention and energy into each simple step of the new routine. None of it comes easy. It doesn't flow. It's clumsy. But we just have to keep plodding along. Like learning to ride a bike. It's crazy hard at first. You have to think really hard about not turning the wheel too much or remembering to brake before you run into the tree. I mean, it seems impossible, but eventually you start getting the feel for it. Your body starts putting the pieces together. Your mind starts letting go. And then there's that magical moment when you realize Your mom isn't holding on to the seat anymore. You're doing it. You're riding a bike. The intellectual discipline has turned into an automatic routine. We'll discuss this dynamic more when we get to the episode on creativity. So just like the motivation continuum, we offer a mastery continuum that can help you recognize the normal and natural stages of the learning curve. No matter where you start, you treat the acquisition of mastery as a process. You engage in deliberate practice. You use your deliberate mind to practice good techniques and to eliminate bad techniques until, gradually, they become automatic routines that flow easily together. Let's take a look at the stages of the mastery continuum that we have developed. It goes from novice on the beginning end through stages of competence, proficiency, and expertise before landing on mastery. So novice is the first stage, the beginning stage. You're just beginning work on a new skill or a new concept. You have little experience with the skill. You're not very good at executing the required steps. This is frustrating. But rather than focus on the frustration, focus on the excitement and anticipation of how much you have to learn and how much more powerful you're going to be once you have mastered this set of skills. Competence is a next level. As you improve, you begin to get better at performing the skills. Not great, but no longer impossible or clumsy. You're learning how to deal with the challenges this skill or concept demands. Then you move on to proficiency. This is where you're really getting it. This is the point when your dad let go of the seat or your mom let go of the seat and you start riding that bike on your own. You've found your balance. You know how to get the bike going, how to stop it. You're you're beginning to feel in control. Then you move on to a level of expertise. The more you practice your skills, the more control you have over them the more you can do with them. You're capable of higher levels of performance on a consistent basis. Then if you finally get to mastery, this occurs when you feel as though you have total control over the skill or the concept. There's still more to learn, of course, and still improvements that you can make, but you are consistently performing at top levels. You have the ability also to teach others how to use this skill. Mastery requires a great deal of time and dedication. Not all of us are willing to invest that much effort into achieving the highest levels of performance. Nor is mastery always required. Often we just need to become proficient enough at a skill to get the job done. I have by no means uh, mastered the full potential of my laptop computer. I don't know how to write code and program the computer to perform customized tasks. I just learn enough to perform the basic tasks that I need, like typing, formatting a document, recording and editing these podcasts, uh, using a simple spreadsheet, and so on. So you might say I have reached a level of competence or perhaps proficiency in computer sciences. I use these proficient skills in keyboarding and formatting to to exercise my writing skills, which I hope are progressing even further towards a level of expertise. The point is that you don't need to become a master in all of the challenges you face. I would say, however, that you need to stick with the mastery practice long enough to become at least competent and hopefully proficient at your target skill. You can't really begin enjoying this skill until you have achieved some competency in it. And with some level of proficiency, you have the ability to start playing with your skill, being innovative with it and using it in new and creative ways. So to summarize, With any action plan that you undertake, there are two important developmental processes that you can and should undertake. You can always enhance your motivation, and you can always further your mastery. Think of these as two mental disciplines you will cultivate to give yourself more power and control over your life. Practice the art and science of self-motivation, and practice the art and science Of self mastery. Thanks so much for listening and for investing energy in the health of your brain and the sharpness of your mind. The world needs every good brain it can get. And if you want to learn more about MindRamp and our work, please take advantage of the free resources available at our website at www.mindramp.org. And remember that Roger or I would love to work directly with you if you want some personal guidance with any aspect of the MAPS approach.